Throughout my journey of being the founder of Women Offshore, I've had the pleasure of meeting people around the world who are trying to make a difference on the water. Today, I'm going to introduce you to someone who started a pledge to change the fishing industry. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. As many of you know, I started Women Offshore several years ago to be the place that I always needed. And I am continually amazed when I meet like-minded people who are also trying to make waves, meaning create change in the industry for the better. A few years ago, I got to speak with Elma Burnham. She's the founder of Strength of the Tides. Through representation, solidarity and accountability, community and education, she has made waves in the fishing industry. It started with a pledge, a pledge that would bring together fishing boat captains to set a higher standard that everyone would be treated equally. Today, I want to introduce you to Elma to learn more about why this pledge exists and what she's doing at Strength of the Tides to make working on the water a better place for everyone. Welcome, Elma, to the Women Offshore podcast. Thanks, Allie. I'm excited to be here I'm talking to another water woman. Yeah, let's get into it. I'm excited. Yeah, let's get into it. So please start out by sharing what inspired you to work at sea. What has a career on the water meant to you? I grew up on the water. First and foremost, that was the part that I didn't realize. It's funny naming an influence that like has just been present my whole life. But I grew up in southeastern Connecticut area on in Long Island Sound between the mainland in Connecticut. My mom lives there. And then My dad lives on this small island called Fisher's Island that's officially part of New York. But I grew up commuting between these two places on boats and surrounded by family that not everyone made a career on the water, but a lot of folks have been involved in different ways. Or if not, everyone knew at least how to get themselves from the island to the mainland and drive a boat. And in, you know, just coastal communities is where I got started. And I lived landlocked only for school. I went to school in Vermont uh, in a pretty landlocked state, although there are wonderful lakes and gorges there to swim in. So for those who don't know, my career at uh, at sea, as you say, is all based in the Alaska fisheries. And I started out there when I was 18, after my first year of college as first a nanny. But really, that was through family connection. My mom and dad lived there in Alaska for most of the 80s. And for most of Alaska, you know, huge amount of the population lives on the coast. So I grew up hearing so much about their experiences there. And just love, we got to visit a couple times growing up as a different family and friends up there. And I just wanted to keep going back. And now it's been 10 years or so. So family, I guess, is the number one. Yeah, it sounds like that you grew up in this culture of seagoing careers or being around the water. And it's just been a big part of your life for so long. So looking back, can you share a memorable sea story with us? There's so many, it's hard to 
realize like what's memorable for me might not be so interesting or memorable to others. Of course, you know, you remember sometimes the storms or challenging parts or like, you know, for fishing, the big days where you catch a bunch of fish and all that. But I did want to share one, which was just about my learning experience. And compared to you, Allie, I spend my time in teeny boats. (laughs) They're like less than 30 feet long, most of them. But can be, as you're learning, challenging to drive. And in Bristol Bay, Alaska, where I fish, it's a huge river system. So the current is strong. And just as we're growing up on the Atlantic coast, where our tides are teeny tiny, and not with a river current, learning to drive then in a current was a totally different experience. And I also learned to drive a boat with two outboards where you could like turn around more. And then I was driving this fishing skiff with just one. Anyway, the story that stuck out when I was thinking of this was my dad had come up to visit our fishing grounds in Bristol Bay. And my first captain was his godson. So they were all, you know, it was this nice family visit. But all of a sudden I was learning to drive the skiff with my dad and my first fishy captain in the bow. And I was just you know, no pressure in that situation. They're both very kind, but I just was feeling the pressure as a young person doing this. And anyway, I just had to pull up to our buoy to like moor the boat and I missed. What was happening is that I was missing the buoy to moor the boat and I was spending too much time paying attention to people, other people in the skiff and who else was watching, which was my first captain and my dad. I just remember in that moment, what I, the lesson that was passed on to me from my captain and my dad both was just screw everybody else, which is not my life philosophy at all. I feel like I'm a very compassionate, trying always to be compassionate. But in that moment, what they were trying to share with me was that it doesn't matter if anybody's watching, everybody knows you're learning, just like stop looking at us in the bow and just focus on what you have to do. And just like, you know, trust yourself really is the other is the message that they wanted to say. I imagine you were feeling a pressure to not mess up and just wanted everything to go smoothly. And there was a lot of noise, probably a lot of things to think about. And so focusing on the task at hand could be difficult. You know, if you grow up doing something and being around something, I've always felt there's sort of this assumption about that you just grow into these roles and being a skipper or running a boat. And sure, I had experience, but not in that particular context, not like anyway, any of those things. So just a, the moving on to being in leadership takes such a amount of trust for yourself. And that's what they were trying to convey, I think. Good, good. It sounds like you're really supported. You are known as a leader in the fishing industry because of what you started, Strength of the Tides. It's a platform for a community of women who work in the fishing industry. So why did you start it and how did you grow it? That's a good question. How did you grow it? I didn't know if I was even going to grow it, but it has grown and I'm so grateful. I started, honestly, with a really small group of email lists of other women I knew on the water in the fall of 2016. And I don't mean to get too political, but I was very discouraged that fall. And there were a lot of news reports about just misogynistic comments from leadership in our country 
and other discouraging things going on politically at that time, which, you know, you could say that probably about any point in history, but I was disappointed and I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to do something. I wanted to support somehow those who felt marginalized at that time, you know, who do feel marginalized. And it really became that, you know, after thinking about it, I knew that where I had the most community to do to make any sort of change or to open up these conversations was within my own communities. It didn't make sense to me to jump into a different community if my own needed some work and support. And my own at that time and continues to be in the fishing industry, particularly salmon fishing in Bristol Bay. That's the one that I have participated in. But since the past few years, and especially since starting Strength of the Tides, become so much more aware of other fishing communities across the U.S., but also across the world, really, and how many women participate in those all over the world. And it just became clear that a lot of camaraderie and community could be, A, celebrated more and also shared. But we didn't grow... Well, we'll talk about the pledge soon, but the growth really came when I started the Instagram, which was in, let's see, July of 2017. That's the season I skipped fishing. And and so I had full internet access all summer. And the Instagram platform was really about representation. So trying to share stories of women on the water. And each week we started profiling someone who was at first it was like really closely aligned with the commercial fishing industry in Alaska. And since then it sort of broadened, we've broadened the different people that we feature, but that I just have like really come to believe as in social media as a huge tool. And that was really where the growth came. And so soon after that, we started a private Facebook group to sort of build community. I think one of the most interesting parts, which is true in my understanding a little bit for the Mariner community also is that most of these women are participating as maybe one of the only women on these boats and the time in port or the time tied up to another boat is so limited that a lot of women's experiences on the water is so isolated. So again, that's like another reason why I think social media has really been such a great tool for us because we will. Some parts of some, a lot of fishing grounds don't have good service, but at least like, even if you didn't get to meet the other women in your fishing fleet in port that summer, you know, which boats had them. And it's so easy to connect, especially when someone is telling their story publicly on Instagram or Facebook. I've been a huge fan of what you created for a while now. I love the stories, the photos, especially are gorgeous because you know, the backdrops and you show real women working. So congrats on everything that you've built. One of the things I find interesting that you guys do is have this pledge. This pledge allows you to connect the women in the fleets to big players in the industry. So can you explain more about what the pledge is, why you wrote it, and what the response has been? In Alaska, it's such a tight-knit community. You know, there's so many... So much collaboration that goes on, even though we're all fishing and sometimes competitive, but there's a wonderful community there that supports each other. And I just felt like 
we could do a better job of particularly supporting women who participate. Basically, each small boat is a small independent business. And there's just a captain and crew. There's no HR department. There's really no in between. It's just whatever the captain says and whatever the crew needs to do to follow through on those commands or requests, whatever. And so together with this group of like different folks weighing in, we wrote this pledge that is essentially an anti-harassment policy, some guidelines. And what we asked for was for different boats and captains and deckhands, like anyone involved, to sign on just to say and make it public and make it known that these are commitments that they are making. And, you know, it says things like some of the highlights are to actively empower women crew and to look for professional potential in women who fish, to teach, promote, and pay women crew in the same manner as their peers. It goes on. I mean, Most clearly at the beginning, it also says to work towards an industry that is free of sexual assault and understanding of consent. I hope folks will read the whole thing on shrinkthetides.org. But there's a lot of captains that have these contracts and are already including this language, but there's so many others who aren't and just don't really even know what to include. And by then, I had been someone in the industry for five or six years and I was getting different calls and inquiries from friends or friends of friends or family friends who said, oh, especially women who said, I'm interested in fishing. I'm interested in working in Alaska in the industry. You know, can you recommend? What do you know? Can you share some about it? And I realized that I was uncomfortable sharing the name of a young woman who was looking for work with captains and different leaders in the industry who I'd never met. But it's all functioned so much by word of mouth, getting jobs and networking up there, that we wanted to create something that showed sort of what kind of culture these boats and these captains were trying to create. And so that's why the signatures on the pledge are public, so that someone like a young woman who, you know, maybe literally answers a Craigslist ad or a Facebook posting you know, I always encourage people to call, ask the captain for crew that formerly worked for them just to like have a conversation and see what the vibe was like. But also, I hope that people are using the pledge as a resource to say, oh, like, I got a call back from this boat. I just want to know if they've tapped into Shrink the Tides community and signed on to the pledge. Have you found it also as a tool to call anyone out? Like if say they did sign it and then you find out that maybe a sexual assault occurred or some harassment and you can ask them, hey, I thought you meant it when you signed this. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing I realized I didn't mention is that when there's not because there's no HR department, there a lot of people are really not sure about who to like what to do about it if they feel unsafe or if they had a bad experience. It's like, who do I, you know, do I call the Coast Guard? Do I call the the fish, the boat's buyer? And that honestly, that question is still a little hazy. But what I wanted and said, or what we are encouraging also is just like a grassroots community of women and honestly, folks of other identities, trans and genderqueer people also who are not the 
majority identity and the fishing grounds to have a community to sort of have these discussions. So that part has happened less publicly. That's not really a role that we like shrink the tides wanted to also be a celebration of these people. And I didn't want to necessarily create such a, be a really a platform of just like call outs, but the private Facebook group is a, some of that resource. So some of that sharing, some of that bad experience, some of that, you know, someone's a lot of the time what happens in the spring is someone will post in there. Hey, I, you know, this is my first season fishing. I heard from this captain, like, does anyone know the boat? And then, you know, the hope is that we can connect that person with other people who are either in the fleet or in the network and know them and say a good word or say, oh, I know this person who fished with them in the past. Like, here's, you know, we can connect you. So really, it's a grassroots approach of trying to just support each other in this really unique industry and in a hopefully helpful way that's keeping people safe. For anyone listening who might be a little skeptical or think that, you know, just everything's getting better, we don't need something like this, what would you say to them? As I said earlier, social media is such a tool, but if you really do read it closely, and especially in these industries, there are some just really scary accounts and stories. And I think it's really important to believe those and to pursue a better community. Like people are so proud to be fishermen. And so when I first introduced it, I wasn't necessarily meant to be this disparaging thing where it was like pointing fingers and saying, you do this and you do this. But instead it was like, we're so proud of our profession, our community, our livelihood, our way of life. Let's just raise the bar and let's just be public about it. Like, let's just share that we are someone who takes teaching women to who work on the water and that we are seriously, that we take that seriously, that we take, you know, that it's not just if someone's going to hire your daughter, you know, would you like... I talked to many fishermen, women who fish, who didn't get invited to the fishing boat until they were, you know, much older than their brother, for example. And, you know, that's because they want to protect them or it's not, you know, but what are they protecting them from? And why can't we combat that as a community together and instead just say, this is where our standards at. And so that's another goal of the pledge is just to raise that bar a little higher and, you know, what would I say to those folks who are skeptical that it's, oh, it's not that bad, is that then what's the big deal? Then why can't you sign it? Then why can't you just make that commitment? Then why can't you just share that with folks and be, name yourself a boat that wants to participate in an industry that's there for everyone? Yeah, you're really finding a way to make it inclusive and just set a standard across the industry. And and I admire you so much for what you're doing. And I mean, it is a little sad that, that you had to do this, that that standard's not already there. You know, the first thing the pledge says is thank you. Thank you to those captains who have taught us already, who got us, us as when I say us, I mean, collectively women and other folks who work on the water who are not white cis men, you know, thank you for making a space for us. And we are, I think it's important that like, that these hard conversations exist in tandem with the thank yous and the acknowledgement and appreciation for those that have already set the standard for themselves and their boat to be that high. But why aren't we doing it as a, as a whole, basically? What has been your biggest surprise in founding this platform? And what 
has been your biggest challenge? The biggest surprise has really been its growth. We're not viral or anything like that, but the fishing industry is, you know, it's pretty small. It's not necessarily, at least in the grand scheme of things, I understand that the ocean is huge and there's fish, people fishing all over the coastlines, but the ones that I knew, my own community was not that big when I started this project. So to see it grow and reach places that I had never been to or, you know, never knew much about the industry, like what fishing looks like there to have it reach there was a big surprise and really cool. You know, we featured some women who fish in the UK, somebody from Tasmania, and that has really just what happened also with my career, like Strength of Tides is only part of what I do. And I've just learned how big the fishing industry really is. And you know, been reminded that it exists all over these coastlines and that women are participating in so many ways, whether that be in the processing plants or catching fish, either for subsistence or commercially, really all over the world. And I just, those are the surprises that I just, I didn't really know or have, I've been pleasantly surprised at its the support and growth that we've gotten. The challenging part juggling all the projects. So I was just sharing that I had noted that time and structure for a passion project turned into a community organization turned into, you know, leadership has been challenging, but I've been really enjoying the challenge. Good. So what's next? What's the future look like for you and the platform? It's always evolving. So with the growth of the project and our industries and myself, I feel like just strength of tides just always trying to keep up and be relevant and really be as supportive as it can be. That's our goal. So the future is to continue doing what we're doing. I have such, you know, we are living in COVID times, so it's challenging. I want to continue doing events. I love, love your mentorship program. And that's something that our community has talked about a lot and is something that you know, it's sort of informal now, but there's a long list of hopes and dreams for Strength the Tides. And I've really been inspired by your work that's on there. One that's more related to women who fish. And then most recently, just this summer, we actually updated our mission to include folks of different gender identities. I think women is, you know, I identify as a cis woman. That is where my community started. That's where I felt at first that I could really, you know, work the, for representation of the identity that I understood the most. But moving forward, we are aiming to support, celebrate, and empower all women, trans, and genderqueer people on the water. So that was an update that we made and really put in writing just this summer. I shared a couple of weeks ago on our Instagram that we've updated our mission. and. You might have noticed that we also took the word work out of our mission. It was originally women who work on the water. But again, as I said, in the growth, I've also been understanding the fishing industry and all of that so much more and realizing that there's a lot of subsistence or different relationships with the water that these people who still have stories that need to be told. So we took that out in the hopes that we'll be sharing more of those, anyone with this relationship with the water and trying to sort of break this idea that it had to be someone whose relationship to water in the, with the water is directly in this capitalistic 
setting and instead could be something that's much more about livelihood and different systems. So inclusive, really admirable. One last question for you, Elma. If someone wants to be a part of your platform, Strength of the Tides, how can they learn more and what should they do? Yeah, learning more can happen at strengthofthetides.org. I really appreciate you sharing your platform with us, Allie, and getting the word out. I would love to hear more from mariners and fold each other into the projects. So learning more, strengthofthetides.org. Same thing, Strength of the Tides on Facebook and Instagram. In terms of action folks can take, we would love if you signed the pledge, if you nominated someone. So we have our Instagram features happen largely through nomination. So perhaps you know someone who, a woman, trans or genderqueer person who has worked on the water, who fishes, who has some relationship with our coastline and the sea and wants to tell their story. We would love to accept your nomination, strengththetides.org slash the people. And then if you are one of those people, we would love to have you also join our private Facebook group and join our conversation. You're all invited. Thanks so much, Emma, for coming on the Women Offshore podcast. Thanks for having me, Allie. I'm so psyched to see what Women Offshore is doing in the future, and I'll be paying attention. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for January 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the OCI East Houston Chapter Luncheon at the Monument Inn on the 5th, and the Houston Chapter Energy API Meeting at the Petroleum Club on the 14th. The only online event we have this month is the Prefab Connect from the 26th to the 29th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for January. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you soon.